And Father, thank you that we have this time again to gather to uh, look into the things that you've revealed to us in your word. I pray that this uh, passage would uh, encourage us and convict us and would uh, exhort us to a greater uh, commitment and zeal for the gospel and a willingness to suffer for the sake of Christ. And Father, I pray that this would then uh, motivate us to be more diligent in proclaiming it to those around us in the world and that it would also cause us to draw closer to you and to desire to worship you more. Father, I pray that in uh, all of our our time today in this lesson and in our worship services that uh, you would strengthen our faith, convict us of sin, draw us to uh, repentance and to Uh, lean more and more upon you as our only source of comfort and our only satisfaction. I thank you for the salvation that you've given us. I pray that uh, this would always be uh, at the forefront of our hearts and minds in everything that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So in this passage here, we are continuing the theme that has been kind of a a constant theme throughout this epistle um, of Peter writing to prepare these believers in Asia Minor, in the Roman Empire, for the persecution that is coming upon them. So he's writing to encourage them as they are preparing to face these fiery trials or as they already are facing fiery trials. And so he says, don't be surprised at it when it comes as if it were something strange. Um, Our Lord Jesus warned us that these kinds of trials were coming, but he also assured us that we would be blessed because of this. And so if you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, the last two Beatitudes, which we've been through uh, in our sermons on Sunday mornings recently, uh, Matthew 5, uh, verses 10 to 12, says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, we live in a sinful world. We live in a world where people love their sin and have seared their consciousness, consciences 
in order to allow themselves to sin without shame. This is something we talked about a ton last year, looking at the law. Even though everybody has a knowledge of God's law because he's revealed it to them, uh, because of our fallen natures, because human beings desire things that are contrary to God's law, um, it is natural for us to convince our consciences that things are okay and to excuse the things that we do that are sinful so that we can enjoy them and indulge in them without being ashamed in our consciences for them. But we who are believers um, should seek to have our consciences corrected by the law of God and we should seek to uphold it according to the word of God as revealed to us in scripture and to preach to others the need for repentance and for the same regenerated heart that we have. And when we do this, it is an assault on the things that the world holds dear. And so we do need to respect to expect that there will be resistance to it. And Jesus says um, at the end of, of what we just read, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus is talking to uh, people in the land of Israel and their uh, predecessors, their forefathers, hundreds of years earlier, uh, the religious leaders during that time were uh, resisting and persecuting the prophets who uh, were coming and preaching against their idolatry and their rebellion. And this is something that uh, every generation is going to do because every generation is full of people who are rebellious against God's word. And so faith, it can even end up destroying the relationships that we cherish in this life. Um, someone, uh, could someone please read Matthew 10, verses 34 to Thank you. So even these personal relationships that we cherish in this life and that are even part of um, God's designed family structure because of this division that uh, is brought between those who love their sin and those who have been saved and who love the righteousness of God will have those relationships suffer and, and possibly even be severed for it. Second um, Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is not uh, just limited to parts of the world where you have a government or a culture that is overtly anti-Christian. Um, we may say, see that persecution is most apparent in those parts of the world, such as ones that are 
under the rule of autocratic governments or uh, anti-Christian religious extremists. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist every, everywhere else in the world. Even in times and places that we might think of as culturally very Christian, like 17th and 18th century England or, or America, um, the majority of individuals weren't necessarily godly people. And those who were truly godly, even in those times and places, and who genuinely sought after the righteousness of God, did face derision and scorn for it. Um, and if you read the works of pastors during that time period, uh, they describe that happening quite a lot. Um, and so even no matter where you are and, and what time period uh, people have lived, Christians have been persecuted to some degree for their faith. So then Peter, he describes these things as fiery trials to test us. And if you remember back in the second lesson in this series, trials are given to prove uh, true faith and to distinguish true faith from false faith. So in, back in chapter 1, verse 7, Peter uses the example of gold. And if you put gold into a crucible and you heat it, it will melt eventually, but it still it continues to be gold, and the dross, the impurities, are separated out of that gold and they burn up. And so um, it not only proves that it's true gold, but it makes it into more pure gold. But on the other hand, if you put fool's gold into the crucible and heat it, it will just release a lot of noxious gases. And if you keep going long enough, you'll just be left with a pile of rust. So being a Christian means willing, being willing to suffer for Christ, which proves our faith. And it also strengthens our faith because suffering forces us to lean more and more on Christ. And it reminds us that he's ultimately the, the only dependable source of our comfort and satisfaction that we can have. And so Peter says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you remember, after Christ suffered and finished his work on the cross, he was glorified by the Father, and those of us who are in Christ and who share in his sufferings will be glorified with him on the last day. And so when we look forward to our glorification, it should cause us to rejoice exceedingly at the thought that we are suffering for Christ's sake in the same way that uh, he suffered for our sake. And so we need to understand that if people are reviling us, it's because they see something about us that they don't like and it's because we're not like them. And so being reviled for our faith, it's evidence that, it, that we have been set apart for Christ and made holy. And so this should strengthen our assurance because um, if, we were, if we were living just like everyone around us in the world, there wouldn't be uh, that distinction between us and those who are not saved. But because that distinction can be seen in the fact that we are being persecuted, um, therefore it is an indication that we are um, set apart for Christ. So he says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So um, 
the thing that empowers us and makes us willing to suffer for Christ is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because natural men, they seek ease and comfort and the enjoyment of things in this life. They don't seek suffering. And so when we find ourselves willing to suffer for Christ, again, it should strengthen our assurance of salvation because we know that what's causing us to be able to do that is the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And we know that if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, then he has guaranteed our salvation. Um, But I do need to clarify, of course, that suffering must be for the sake of Christ and for righteousness. Um, If we're suffering for things that Christ hasn't called us to, or especially if we're suffering for things that are contrary to his command, then that's not of any value to us. So Peter says uh, in in verse... um, 15, um, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be, uh, sorry, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler, um, because those sorts of people actually do deserve to suffer for their actions. Um, Jesus was crucified by evil men who accused him of crimes punishable by death, even though he was innocent. He had not done any of the things that he was being accused of. Um, Murderers, thieves, evildoers, and meddlers, however, when they suffer for those things, they suffer justly. Um, Those who suffer unjustly because God is just will be vindicated by God on the day of judgment. But those who have suffered unjustly, or those who have suffered justly, unless they repent, the suffering that they've endured on earth under men's judgment will just have been a small foretaste of the suffering they will endure under God's judgment for all eternity. And if you notice the list here, you've got murder and thief. Now, those shouldn't surprise us. Those are obviously people who go against explicit commands of God and harm others. And then evildoers, as far as I can tell, is used here as a general word for any like criminal or malefactor people who uh, do harm to other people. Uh, Obviously, if you're a Christian, you must not be one of those kinds of people. But then the fourth thing he lists here is meddler. And if you have other translations, you may have a busybody or something like that. And uh, this is actually a serious problem and can be a serious problem or or is a serious problem, I think, in a lot of churches even, uh, certainly in the world as well. Uh, The word there, it literally means someone who is an overseer of things that belong to other people. Um, In other words, people who are constantly watching others and getting into their business and telling them how they should be doing things that, you know, these people really don't have any business involving themselves in. Um, And they're usually doing that at the expense of taking care of their own business that is actually their responsibility. Um, This is something that is pervasive in the world. I mean, um, we see this every time you go to the grocery store. When you go to the checkout line, you're greeted by all the uh, tabloid magazines. Um, If you are someone who pays attention regularly to the news, you see that a lot of it is focused on you know, what's going on in various uh, celebrities' lives and what they're up to. And then if you read online comment threads, everyone seems to have an opinion about what everyone's doing. 
And this is a kind of behavior that's pervasive in the world, but it's not something that we ought to be tolerating in the church. And so this being a busybody or a meddler is something that must not characterize the Christian. And so again, like murderers, thieves, and other kinds of evildoers, um, people who do these kinds of things, they may suffer justly for it. That is not the kind of suffering that we're being called to by Christ. But also, we don't need to be going out of our way to seek suffering unnecessarily. Now, I mentioned before, the world desires ease and comfort, but there are people sometimes who will seek out suffering as a means to an end. Um, you'll hear sometimes people point to passages like this that where they say that, uh, you know, see, if, if I'm suffering for Christ, that proves that I'm a, a true Christian and a godly person, and so they will go out and contrive situations to bring about some kind of suffering. Um, You've probably seen videos of of preachers or or people who like to make a scene in order to get reactions from people and then claim to be persecuted. But that's not what we're being called to do here. Um, We're called to just live according to the commands of Christ. And we're being told that just doing that and preaching the gospel and being serious about the righteousness of Christ will cause us to suffer and to be mocked and derided by other people. We don't need to give them additional reasons to do that. Um, You know, being provocative in order to incite persecution is just, it's unnecessary. It's it's self-flagellation, basically. Um, If you read uh, Romans 12, 18, Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, based on what Peter is saying in the other passages, uh, the words of Jesus that we've read earlier, living peaceable with everybody is impossible. Otherwise, we would be able to avoid persecution. But what Paul is telling us there in in Romans 12, 18, is that we must not be the ones to do things that would prevent us from having peace with others. If we're not going to have peace with somebody, let it be because they're unwilling to have peace with a godly person and not uh, because we are doing things that create conflict. Um, But when we suffer for Christians, we should not be ashamed for it. Um, Peter says in verse 16 of our text, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So we need to understand that however the world might try to shame us, Christ is going to vindicate us and glorify us when he returns. Um, In fact, we are commanded to not be ashamed for Christ. Um, If you go to uh, Mark 8.38, Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So those who love their sin and who are offended by the gospel will demand that Christians deny the word of Christ and they will tell us that we should be ashamed of the things that we're saying and of the things that we believe. And far too many Christians have decided to try to uh, 
appeal to the world with a soft and inoffensive gospel. And in doing so, what they indicate is that they are, to some extent, ashamed of the hard truths of the gospel. And so that must not be true of us. Um, you know, it's, it's common now for churches to design their worship services and their activities around what they think worldly people will enjoy and want to be a part of when that's really contrary to what's being taught here. Um, I mean, I've read about where some churches will go out and survey their local communities, not believers in their community, but just anybody in their community to see, you know, what features do you think should be in a church in order for you to want to attend there? But this is utterly the wrong way to think about what the church is supposed to be. People shouldn't want to be a part of the church because the music is good or the atmosphere is cool or because there's free coffee or snacks or even because necessarily because the people are friendly, even though hospitality is something that we're called to, as we've uh, been over earlier in this series. But rather, people should want to be a part of the local church because they've already been united to Christ through having heard the gospel and believed it. And so if they've heard the gospel and believed it, then they should come to understand that they are also covenantally united to all other believers and that Christ has established local churches in order for that covenant relationship to be expressed and worked out in a visible and experiential way. And so we join the visible church because we've already been made a part of the invisible church. And so what that means then is that people are to come into the church because they've already heard the gospel and believed it and not in order to hear the gospel for the first time. Uh, I don't remember where I I first heard this, but it stuck with me that um, inviting your unbelieving friends to church is not evangelism. Um, Our pastor's main job on Sunday mornings and evenings um, are not necessarily pastor, anyone who's preaching in a worship service. Uh, his job is not to preach the gospel to the lost primarily, although he should assume that there may be lost people in the congregation, and so his message should address them as well. But his primary job is to preach the gospel to us believers in order to strengthen our faith and to better equip us to go out into the world and preach the gospel to the lost. And so um, rather than inviting our friends to church, hoping that they will hear the gospel, because we're ashamed to to preach it to them directly. Rather, we need to proclaim it to the people around us boldly and unashamedly so that they might be saved. Um, The gospel should guide every step of our lives and it should be the standard by which we think about everything and make every decision. And we should have it at the forefront of our lips Uh, whenever we're talking to other people or working with other people, doing anything, and regardless of what they think about it. And so it's our responsibility not only to live according to it ourselves, but also to preach it to others. And that should be what brings people into the church, Um, not any other things that we might try to offer them apart from the gospel. Um. But it does need to um, 
we do need to be serious about within the church um, holding each other accountable to it. Uh, Peter says, getting into verse um, verses 17 and 18, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? The persecution by unbelievers is a means by which God disciplines his children. Uh, because it keeps us from being able to maintain any kind of half-hearted faith. And it forces us rather to take a side. Uh, when we're persecuted, we, we have two choices. Either we can stay committed to Christ and suffer with him. Or we can, uh, we can compromise with the world and, and um, accept what the world is telling us. And um, try to avoid offending them. And thus reveal that our faith was, was a false one and a nominal one. Um, if we go back to the gold example from before, remember that fire both proves whether a piece of shiny metal actually is gold or not, but it also purifies it if it is true gold. Um, someone read Malachi 3 verses uh, 2 to 3. So Malachi there is, is talking about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in general. But uh, persecution, according to our passage, is one of the means by which Christ uh, sanctifies and purifies his people. But for those who don't obey the gospel's call to repent and believe in Christ, this judgment will not purify, rather it will destroy Remember what John the Baptist said of Jesus in uh, Matthew three twelve, His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So um, all of the sanctifying work of Christ is intended to purify his church. And so judgment starts here in the church. And that's the purpose of us you know, teaching and preaching here is it's meant to strengthen our faith and to purify us, to keep us, to keep calling us to repentance. And that's why it's important that we be, um, that we be correcting one another, that we have fellowship with one another. And when we are talking and having fellowship, not just to talk about general things going on in each other's lives, but to actually, uh, seek to know spiritually what's going on with each other and call each other to repentance and give encouragement to one another. And we need to be diligent and focused in that in our time that we uh, have together. Um, and so he says, uh, to close, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. 
So when we're suffering, we need to consider who it is that we're suffering for. And if we're suffering because we're standing unashamedly upon the words of Christ, then we can know that we are sharing in his suffering and that we will share in his glory on the last day. But we need to be sure that we are suffering for doing good and not suffering for doing evil. If we are suffering for doing good, then we can know that God will vindicate us against those who are mocking us and those who are persecuting us. And that our suffering in this life will be our glory in the next. Um, Proverbs 3.34, which has been one of my favorite passages, probably my favorite proverb for a long time. It says, toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. So those who scorn us in this life will find themselves being scorned by, uh, by God. And so we should humbly endure that scorn of the world, knowing that uh, soon we will be in God's presence, enjoying our eternal reward. And that those who have been persecuting and mocking and scorning us in this life will be under God's judgment. And that they will see how wrong they were. And so in everything that we do, let us be sure to do good and to live for the glory of God, fully trusting in his goodness. Um, Does anyone have any, any comments? Questions, anything to add to that? Oh, Hal's not here. But if anyone else wants to jump in. Um, all right. Well, so we've got uh, about 10 or so minutes uh, before some of us will be gathering for uh, prayer time, but otherwise. Um, have a little time for for fellowship so let's make good use of it um adam close us in prayer yeah father god i want to thank you for giving us this slice of heaven today allowing us as saints to participate in worshiping you by hearing your word teach and preach by giving us an opportunity to gather as a family in christ to worship your name I want to thank uh, I want to thank this time just as, as we've learned about what true persecution looks like, how we are to put ourselves to go forward, and how we're supposed to have peace and fellowship with those outside of the church, but also recognizing as a time of reflection that that persecution may come to us. I also wish to pray for the pastor as he gets ready to preach and as he gives us uh, expository exaltation that it can enlighten our hearts, that we can jump our souls with praise. And I pray that for the rest of this Lord's day, we continue to maintain our center focus, which is on your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.